Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about what, according to the new Sight and Sound poll, is the best movie of all time. And that is Chantal Ackermans, Jean Dielman, Van Troyes, Quai du Commerce, 1080, Bruxelles. So that's quite a mouthful. It is a mouthful. You can, if, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're wondering, if you just Google uh, Jean Dielman, you'll, you'll find it. And that's probably what we'll call the movie throughout. The- Jean Dielman, yeah. Yes, it's yeah. basically just the full address where the movie takes place, mostly. Yes. Yeah, but before we get into it, a quick thank you to all of our patrons who have been supporting the show. If you also want to support these discussions and become part of our private Discord community, where you can learn more about upcoming episodes, offer suggestions and talk about films with us and other patrons, feel free to check out our page at patreon.com slash cinemaofmeaning or just follow the link in the show notes. Jean Dielman, this kind of surprisingly took the number one spot at the sight and sound critics list or the the best movies of all time according to uh, this great selection of critics. It's one of the most renowned lists, so to say. Um, Yeah, it's updated every decade and it got an update this year. Vertigo, I think, was the the film that had been at the top of the list previously. Mm-hmm. The way it works, by the way, is they pull over, I think it's like 1,600 critics or something like that. Each critic gives their top 10 films, and then they make a rank based off of that. And this year, Jean Dielman moved from the, tw- I think, spot number 23 all the way up to number one Mm -hmm. and generated a lot of discourse online because you Mm -hmm. know i think this was unexpected by a lot of people i think it kind of makes sense uh a lot of people are talking about you know this being one of the most renowned films from a female director and there's a movement towards appreciating and acknowledging more work by women that's been done throughout film history. And so I think this is because there's statistically less of that kind of work. Yeah. The significant ones tend to really rise to the top because people are selecting these specifically. There's less to choose from. So we thought it would be interesting to talk about. Yeah. Because we we both hadn't seen it, right? Yes, we both hadn't seen yeah. it. I've been aware of it for a long time. It had kind of been on my list it's one of those it's one of those movies you sort of hear legend of it's about this woman <laughs> peeling potatoes or something you're always kind of like mm-hmm. oh i should you know i should watch that but also it's like 3 hours and 20 minutes long or something like that mm-hmm. it's a little bit of an intimidating undertaking so yeah for me i actually hadn't heard of it before which is kind of rare for me because you know i'm i don't know every movie but i do consider myself to be enough of a cinephile that I would at least have heard of it um, because I from that silent sound poll I'd seen I think like 80 of the 100 movies That's and a pretty of good the percentage. 20 I hadn't seen I at least I think I'd heard of most of them so it's kind of a funny coincidence that it happens to be the exact number one spot this year that <laughs> yeah. also happened to be my blind spot for with regards to movies but uh, yeah I was actually kind of excited to check it out uh, just because it was so new and at least for me and because it did generate a lot of controversy you know at at first I had the same reluctance like oh what's this film that I don't know that suddenly is the best movie of all time but 
you know, it, it, it's one of those things that people tend to get hung up on too much, in my opinion. You know, yes. obviously there's no one greatest movie of all time. And as you said, it's probably a bit of a mathematical anomaly that kind of pushed this movie all the way to the top. Because as you said, like if you only have 10 movies to select from, you know, there's histories filled with male directors for, you know, historical reasons. There's There were historically less female directors and just less great movies by female directors. And so when there is that push or incentive to kind of broaden your horizon and explore more diverse movies, you know, there's a, it, it's logical that if you have like a thousand people pick a movie from that smaller pool of movies, then it, it's going to skew the results a little bit in this case in sean dealman's favor but yeah yeah just uh let's let's talk about the movie in its own right well i want to say well before we move on from the list i just wanted to say having watched it now it's not my number one favorite movie of all time but you know neither was vertigo the, the previous one at the top so i don't take these lists that seriously but yeah. i will say having said that i think it definitely deserves to be high on this list like i think it's a really well made mm. great film that i really enjoyed and we'll get into that so i don't want to insinuate by saying what we just said that it's it doesn't deserve a high ranking on this list i think mm. it is a great film that deserves to be high up on this thing it's just people tend to like get way too caught up and yeah <laughs> heated about these discussions about where <laughs> things are on the list so yeah, yeah. We, we want to move on from that. That's not the, the point of this podcast and actually just talk about what is, mm -hmm. I think, a really interesting, interesting yeah. movie here. So, uh, yeah. And that list it didn't even have any Terrence Malick. So, right. right yes, anyway. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the movie in its own right, I think it, I actually was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And it, it definitely, I, I agree, it definitely deserves a place among the greats, I think. You know, there's kind of two ways to approach a movie like this from just the kind of the place or the, just the immediate experience. If you put it on now and you have just sort of the, you kind of experience it as it is in a sort of vacuum between the movie and yourself. Right. And then there's the consideration of what the movie or the, the context in which the movie came out and what it yeah. meant for the time in which it came out and what it meant for film history which is something I always struggle to balance. There's a lot of movies that I recognize as being very influential and impactful, but which I don't necessarily consider personal favorites of mine, That I, right. I or in the sense that I don't, just don't have a strong personal attachment to them. So that's why I'm glad I wasn't asked for 10 movies to put on the list. But <laughs> <laughs> I tried it, but it's actually... It's very hard. Really hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah the thing for me was we there's like five movies that I, I'd put on there, but then there's the other five i don't know there's so many you could ask me any day of the week and i'd probably have a few other ones that resonated with me a little bit more or that i'd considered a little bit more highly again yeah. it's lists like these are always kind of fickle and yeah. um, taken with a grain of salt but at least i'm thankful for that the the because i i wouldn't have watched this film probably anytime soon at least if it wasn't on the number one spot this right. year. So yeah. in that sense, I am happy that it took the number one place because I I am glad that I watched it, especially after watching a lot of Bellatar stuff. Yes, I, I thought I about that. Like, yeah, I was mentally prepared for long movies <laughs> right. with lots of potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of 
daily routines and yeah. <laughs> it's actually if you compare it to like you know satan tango obviously beats it with regards to length that's right Bellator's longest movie at seven and a half hours or something like that though i would actually compare it more closely to the turin horse which yeah. also has this structure where you see day in day out the kind of monotonous routine of these characters uh who go about their day they do the work they they also eat potatoes and then at the end they it, it just kind of fizzles out but that that to me was my my initial point of reference when i was watching this um both for better and for worse i think i liked uh what i liked initially about jean dilman the immediate like impression is that it's it's so static and voyeuristic it actually, I, I I thought of these, you have these wildlife cameras that kind of, right. you have these movement sensors and they start recording when someone enters or some animal enters the, the space of the camera within the frame, basically. And it kind of felt like this was something similar where in each room of the apartment there were these cameras and they would only be triggered as soon as Jean um, <laughs> entered into the room. Right. That, that kind of voyeuristic feeling to it which I thought was really interesting, which is wildly different from, let's say, the Turin Horse, which is very much more stylized. It's black and yeah. white. It's more artsy, more poetic. Uh, it has more music and more... There's just more meta-level stylization going on, whereas this feels more like a m much more straightforward slice of life. And there's just something hypnotic about it. I don't know about you, but every time I start a new movie, I have that initial sort of judgment-free zone where I'm just curious to see, okay, what, you know, what, what is this? And then at some point I usually have, I kind of snap out of it and you kind of become more self-aware again. And for me that with Sean Dillman, that didn't happen until like 40 minutes into the movie where I was like, oh, how far into this am I? And right, I checked right. the, the runtime and I was already 40 minutes in, so there's, it's like half a normal feature-length movie had already yeah. passed before I even kind of started questioning, like, where, what's what's going on, which may sound detrimental, but it's actually, I saw it actually as a positive, that it kind of hooked me and it didn't, it grabbed my attention for quite a stretch before I even started uh, kind of snapping back into that more analytical mode again. Yes. I found it, I also found it very easy to, kind of slip into the film and it almost mm -hmm. like I was very surprised by that it didn't feel as long as it is to me or I don't know I didn't feel that running time and I think it'll yeah. because it kind of lulls you into this sort of meditative state you're not expecting a bunch of stuff to happen and then I don't know yeah I just found it very interesting in that regard it, it held my attention I think more than I was expecting that it might. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I've seen two-hour movies that... <laughs> dragged a lot more than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. It, it, it reminded me also a little bit of the discussion we had on unconventional documentaries and yes. the way in which these... You can have these very experimental, very slow-moving movies that they can be like slow and you can feel the length and you can even be sort of bored by it but it's i'm not bored during these movies in the way that i'm bored during a more conventional narrative film like for me like a movie like uh, um, let's say black adam or something to name a recent example that to me was a movie where like 20 minutes in i was already kind of right. dreading it and kind of done with it and 
yeah. it was starting to become a bit of a drag. Whereas with Jean Dielman, that didn't happen until much later. There were cer certain stretches where some shots just went on and on. And I kind of started to unconsciously move my hand towards the fast forward button. <laughs> right. but, but yeah, overall, I think it's it was a surprisingly easy movie to get through. Uh, and I think above all, it was one that just left me wanting more or that left me wanting to dive into what it all meant and what it signifies. And, you know, it, it it's really one that challenged me in a way that I've only come to appreciate more over the last few years where um, I've seen more movies and maybe I'm just looking for more examples to kind of push the boundaries and challenge me in ways that right. I, I haven't been before because, yeah. you know, it, there's so many movies now that are good, but they're not necessarily challenging or they're not necessarily surprising you. Yeah. It's a really random example, but I had a moment where I thought of The Sound of Metal, which mm -hmm. at the time I remember watching that and thinking, oh, this is a really good movie. But at the same time, it was also a movie where I felt like it felt like it was almost reverse engineered from video essays. Like I could see the exact structure and the skeleton beneath it as I was watching it. Like, oh, this is the character. Here we set up his problem. Here we set up his the, the thing he needs at the end. And this is where we set up the event that's going to set out his journey. And it was all executed very well. And I think that movie has a lot of things going for it, especially with the way it gives us insight into the deaf community. But as a the sort of narrative structure of it at no point truly surprised me, not at yeah. least in a way that this movie did. And that's something that um, I, I've really come to appreciate and I'm just really fascinated by. Right. This is a movie that has also been sitting with me a lot since I watched it. Mm. There's a mm. lot more there than what maybe immediately me meets the eye. I think it, it's interesting to read about this movie or hear the little snippets that you heard about it, which I was surprised that I had a, that I hadn't encountered what I would consider to be the spoilers for this movie. So I went in like entirely Same. blind, not knowing where this was going. I think that's maybe one of the surprises is that it does actually go somewhere kind of eventually, or there there is stuff happening in this movie more so than you would maybe think based on some of the descriptions that you would read. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll, you'll see snippets from people who describe the movie movie or, or or something like that and they're like oh you know this we just watched this woman peel potatoes for you know 10 minutes or something which i think is an exaggeration i don't know that that scene is actually actually that long mm, it's not that long no. it's not that long it, it does feel long when you watch that scene by the time we got to that scene to me there was so much going on in that scene or so much that i wanted to understand like the performance is mm -hmm. really there's layers to she's like thinking through something or you want to really know what she's thinking yeah. about. You're not just watching her peel potatoes. She, the way she's peeling potatoes becomes mm. interesting because you've been sitting inside this woman's life for like two, an hour and a half mm. at this point. And the minutia of how she's doing things kind of starts to take on this significance. The yeah. first thing, you know, I kind of want to mention is I think the most obvious top layer of this movie for me is just the basic dynamic uh, from, I guess, kind of a more feminist perspective or reading that I think is, mm -hmm. is part of why it, it is immediately significant is just the basic element of 
oh, we're taking these kind of domestic tasks that would normally not only get ignored by cinema, but like that get ignored by society on, on or like the patriarchy on a large scale. There's yeah. a very basic element of, you know, Chantal Ackerman, the director, being like, I'm going to make a three hour movie that's primarily about the like washing dishes and making the food and find mm -hmm. trying to find a button for my son's coat and all you know all these things and kind of elevating that to the those what we those tasks we overlook to the same level of significance as like Vito Corleone being like you come to my you know it's like <laughs> there's kind of a basic yeah supposition that is presupposition that is almost posed by this movie which is like why don't we treat this kind of life with the same dramatic import that we do mm -hmm. like you know any of the many things that we've given three hours to in cinema and so i think that's fascinating on a basic level and it's really hard i think to watch this and not think about like you know think about your mother or women in your life who may have done domestic work for you as a child or you know still might in your life you know it forces you to like really connect with those basic tasks mm -hmm. on kind of an intimate level and so i found i found that very interesting but i don't think that's where the movie like ends that's kind of the starting place and then there's the most interesting stuff to me anyway was sort of like what it's doing beyond that basic groundwork yeah uh yeah i, I agree i i actually like the way uh Ackerman herself put it in an interview where she said that she wanted to give the undervalued a life on film which i thought was a nice way of putting it because yeah you're right i i had the same feeling where i was thinking to myself at one point you know, why is it, con if we portray ordinary life on film, why is that considered so radical? It's, it's, right. it's kind of strange yeah. when you think about it, that yeah. just the, the straightforward depiction of everyday life is such a taboo almost in a way, or it's yeah. just something that's so noteworthy and for some people like so frustrating even. But yeah, I, I was thinking, have we, have we even given a basic plot overview of what this movie is about for those who may not have seen it yet no no we haven't so okay real short you can probably already sort of put it together maybe but it's basically a, a story about a woman she's a single mother her husband died a couple of years ago who lives in this apartment and we basically see three days in her life she lives this very methodical very routine based existence basically on the surface level, oh, she also prostitutes herself to men every day. There's like someone coming over in the afternoon, which is probably where she is. It's all, it's all kind of implied, but that's where she likely gets her money. But other than that, she's... We just see them come in and go into the room and then come out later and get yeah. her money. So Yeah, that's this, that's the, to the point where, where we were talking about earlier. The movie tends to cut around like all the stuff that you would normally center in a movie. Right. It kind of feels like if you have a piece of paper and you cut out the figure that you want, and then instead of displaying that figure, you instead show the part that you left out, the, like the cutoffs and stuff, that's the part that becomes highlighted like let's say there's 
there's I think in the on the first day you see her uh, the cameras standing in the hallway and you see her with this man go into the bathroom and then we the, the shot remains the same but it cuts to later in the day and they come back out of the room again and so in it, it's basically just a blink of an eye in which that whole act is basically over and then it moves on again so we only yeah. see like everything around it we see her clean up afterwards and all that sort of stuff and but that's also I think a big part of what it what the movie is about thematically and what it says about her character you mentioned the potato peeling scene and trying to figure out what's going on because there it does feel like there was a sense of frustration in her in that act of her doing that but I felt like a lot of the difficulty for reading her character comes because you only have these static shots that it's it's literally like a fly on the wall observing. There's no yeah. cutting. There's no compositions really going on or dramatic compositions where you suddenly have like a close up to emphasize something. It kind of remains this neutral observer where you really feel like the outsider who is trying to get a sense of the interior uh, interiority mm. of this woman. Yeah, yeah. But you do get like a lot of hints and. The way the movie constructed in a way also reflects, I think, a lot about her character, especially like there was the um, there's something that happens, I think, on the second day that kind of upsets her in a way. I'm not sure if we if you want to get into spoilers yet or I think we can. We can start moving into kind of the what I see as the plot, quote unquote, of this movie. We maybe Mm -hmm. won't talk about the very end yet, but. Yeah. You kind of establish her routines in like the first day and a half. And we see her, you know, she cooks, she does sex work in the afternoon. She cooks dinner for her son. They eat dinner together. There's Their relationship is kind of weird and strained. Like he doesn't really talk to her about things. She'll ask him questions and he just won't answer at all. But we're methodically shown like all the details of her, you know, them unfolding the bed and they go on a walk before and they listen to the radio at a certain time and she knits for a little bit. There's all these things and you very much get the sense that like they do it this way every night. And this is the this is the rhythm. This is the way things are done. I mean, you get that sense is already baked into things the first time you're seeing them. You just get Mm -hmm. like one of the things that I found really interesting the first time through was her reading the newspaper. She like picks up this newspaper and she just like looks at every page and doesn't but doesn't never actually reads any of it and then just folds it over and like puts Mm -hmm. it away. And you very much get the sense that I don't know if that I was trying to figure out if the movie was actually trying to stylize the progression of time in some places where things were supposed to be longer than really what you're actually seeing mm, because yeah. it's all one take. It's just kind of like there's a suggestion that she they're sitting there and she's knitting for like 30 minutes, but you only see like four minutes of it. Or if if you're actually supposed to be seeing things kind of in real time, at least within an individual shot. I don't know. I couldn't really figure that out by the end. I think it's it's interesting either way, but mm-hmm. in how those actions take place, you get the sense of like, she's just doing it because this is the next thing you do. And this is how you do the next thing. And these are, these are the rituals that I've set out in my life. But then you also actually see them repeat the next day. And you're like, okay, you know, this is the way she does things. And these are the, the, the steps and this is the routine. But then to get to what you mentioned it kind of starts to break apart yeah. a little bit in these at first subtle ways. 
at first you don't know why really right. so it's only towards the end that you can kind of look back in hindsight and maybe figure like oh piece it together that might yeah. have been it yeah yeah where, where do you think i mean maybe we can't talk about this without talking the end about the end and maybe we should get to that but there's some stuff i can say before we get into the actual ending what i was going to say about the way the movie even though you do not directly get insight into her character the movie is still constructed in such a way that you that you do kind of get a sense of what her life is like you know, yes. you know beyond the literal uh day-to-day stuff that she gets up to what she what Ackerman really conveys really well is that this is a woman who basically has no time to herself and in a way also doesn't want it um in the sense that she has these meticulous routines and they kind of keep her occupied and it's only when the routine kind of breaks that also the anxiety of her you know all of her like accumulated frustrations and sorrows and yeah whatnot that's kind of that's when that creeps in um there's this moment i think it was on the second day that her son has to get up early for something he has to leave for i don't remember exactly what it was he was doing but um i think the point of that whole thing is that jean is also up earlier than she would normally do and so she kind of starts her day earlier but that means that towards the end she has time left there's right. like an there's that moment where she sits in the chair for what feels also like 10 minutes and she just kind of stares blankly in front of her yeah and that to me was that real that moment where she'd kind of done all her tasks she's she'd completed her routine but it kind of it was a little bit out of out of sync with her usual routine and so there was this space for contemplation and reflection to set in and that's also when the let's call it the darkness kind right. of crept yeah, in yeah. for her and yet yeah, that to me that was just such a poignant way of communicating the the not just you know it's obviously the life of a woman in this kind of patriarchal oppression but also i think there's an, a uni- more universally appealing message there for everyone who feels constrained in in a certain like routine and in the way and, and that experience that once a routine breaks there's an anxiety that can set in and that can really trigger you know evaluations about your life both for better and for worse and uh, i think that's something that this movie captured really well and really uh, in a really subtle way that uh, which i really liked so yeah that that's one thing i wanted to add before we yeah. get into the spoilers about uh, the way this movie kind of constructs a character by showing the sort of externalities of her life, uh, which nevertheless give us insight into what goes on on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of little clues we get, and there's moments like where she she meets a friend while she's out, and the friend's like, hey, come over for coffee. And she's kind of like, uh, no, I'm too busy or something, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, we see the rest of her day. She doesn't seem that busy. Like, she probably could have squeezed the coffee mm-hmm. in. Maybe, yeah. I don't... She also has a lot... She does have a lot that she's doing, but... I wasn't always sure, like, is this something that she absolutely had to do? Or if it was just also a kind of neuroticism where she kind of takes out every little statue from this cabinet to kind of dust it off, you know? I I guess, you know, to some extent, these are all tasks that have to be done. But, But you know, there's a kind of a fine line where it's, is this a task that I have to do? Or am I just kind of looking for a... Am I just kind of looking for stuff to do now to keep that previously mentioned anxiety at bay? At bay, yeah. But at the same time, I do think her, a large part of her routine is always, always focused towards someone else. She rarely does something 
purely for herself. For herself. Yeah. yeah. She's either busy with her clients or doing stuff for her son. You know, that's these moments where she, uh, that you mentioned the moment, moment where she's knitting and she's listening to the radio and you think, oh, maybe that's where she's practicing like a hobby, taking a moment to relax. Um, but then it reveals, you know, the son comes in and she kind of measures his right. size and you get the sense like, oh, she's just, she's making that for him and she's yeah. polishing his shoes at one point and uh, and on the first day, there's, there's an early scene where she takes a bath after seeing her client. And instead of kind of filling up the bathtub and relaxing and taking that nice bath, she just is, is kind of sitting hunched over mechanically washing herself. It just never feels like she does something that's purely for herself. And I think that's where the ending also comes into play. Right. And which may also be like the event that happens on the second day. You, you want to get into it or do you want to... We can, I think we can start getting into the ending and just go from there. In one of the final scenes, we actually go into the bedroom with her client and she, uh, we see her having sex, even though at first it kind of seems like she's laying on her back, the, the guy's on top of her and it kind of seems like he's just sleeping or something. Like it feels very... He's very still. Very still, it feels very unsensual and anything but like erotic or uh, sexy, you know, it's... It just feels very mechanical. But what happens to Jean is that she actually has an orgasm. It's, I think it's likely that that's also something that happened on the second day where she, uh, I'm not sure because that's where in, oh, right. We don't see not shown, but she does feel like she comes out of that, uh, second day encounter kind of flustered compared to the first, right? Because on the first day you have, before she sees her client, she sets the potatoes on the on the stove and when she's she she knows exactly how long things take and so yeah she's done with her client and that's exactly enough time for the potatoes to boil right but right. then on the second day you know her hair's messed up the potatoes are overcooked and there's there's clearly something that happened in the bedroom that she wasn't expecting because that's yeah. another thing too on the first day she yeah yeah they go into the bedroom and they come out of it seconds later or at least to us seconds later and they are look they are looking like perfectly neat like as if nothing happened the second day her hair her hair is messed up too on the second yeah day, exactly which is not on the first yeah yeah her son uh, makes a mention of that so yeah. there's something that happened on the second day that surprised her and that kind of disrupted right. her flow and i think in in the on the third day i think at least it is revealed that she experienced an orgasm or perhaps even the first one she ever had at least that's, I think I read that somewhere that that might have been the case. That is, I, I, I want to say that's the accepted interpretation. And I'm not arguing with that. The mm. the director has said that that, w- that portrayal is the intent. But I think there's also some kind of ambiguity in that moment. I uh, watched this you, with... You mean towards the end or what, on the, what happened on the second day? No, that last scene where they have, that last scene where they have sex at the end yeah both my wife and i when we watched this like read that scene more as like a rape because she at first is like resisting him and kind of like pushing against him Mm -hmm. and we don't see it again if you haven't seen it which people watching this hopefully have but you you have very little details it's a static shot from above you can't really see Mm -hmm. the man's kind of blocking the way we see her face a little bit and kind of you know but there's not a lot of detail there. Yeah. You can read the enjoyment that she has on her face, but there there's clear like conflict about that. Whatever whatever it is 
it's more conflicted for her character, which obviously we'll get into. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're saying, and I like that idea. I hadn't I hadn't encountered that or thought of that in any or seen it in anything that I read. That that's what happens on the second day. She gets thrown off, and it's like this disruptive thing to her whole like concept. But then I guess big spoilers. Yep. She stabs the guy <laughs> at the end with the scissors. There's yep. this very ambiguous like conflict at least within herself as to how she's dealing Mm. with this or processing it or you know um there's something about this that destructive to uh, the worldview that she's had or or the framework Mm -hmm. that she's been trying to like view the world through yeah i think one important element there is that um is the way the the way she talks about her marriage and right. about her specifically also about her sexual past and her kind of sexual relation to her former or late husband yeah um where she initially she talked about wanting to be a wife and having a child or no she said she wanted a life of her own and wanted to have a child that's what she said and i I felt like she's really of the generation where marriage was still more of a not necessarily a romantic endeavor but more of a this is just a thing you do kind of thing i actually see it like with uh you know the, the grandparents that I've known, they it, it's, it's very different from like my parents or other people I know that are at my parents' age. But yes, she, she basically said that her marriage to her son's father uh, or her late husband was pretty much loveless. And she kind of saw sex as this little detail that's just necessary to get the child into the world, which I think also comes back in the way she treats her clients or the way the movie treats her clients in the way that it's... It, it, to her, it's it's nothing, and for us as the viewer, it's therefore also isn't nothing. You know, it's right. just one of the tasks that gets checked off, aside from peeling the potatoes and cleaning the bathtub and whatnot. So there's a very passionless relation for her to sexuality. Yeah. And so I think in that sense, it's interesting what, if someone like that would experience an orgasm for, for the first time in her life, like that... You know, it, it obviously would mean a lot to her, to her own relation, to her own sexuality, and maybe the concept of sex in general, but also maybe more generally as uh, in the, you know, we talked about her basically having no life of her own and basically just doing these routines and living in service of someone else and really now having this experience that's purely for her pleasure or for her right. enjoyment, you know, because the guy he kind of, <laughs> at the end, he's just laying there, you know, he's... It looks like he's doing nothing, which uh, for me is why it, it, it didn't really, I didn't really read it as a rape scene in the sense, you know, he, right, right. you know, she was kind of moving, but not in a way she was not, I, it didn't feel like she was genuinely like pushing him off because it, it felt like right. he was just such a, you know, inert kind of a, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was just, she could have, if she wanted him off, he would have been, he would have right. gone off it seemed yeah. like he was just kind of you know at first i genuinely thought he was maybe it Asleep. was already over and they were <laughs> right. sleeping it was yeah. <laughs> he wasn't moving he wasn't doing anything it, it didn't feel like he was threatening in any yeah. her in any real way so that to me is what kind of that's why i read that moment as her kind of claiming finally claiming something that's truly hers and that's truly something ecstatic in her life of otherwise just dull passionless routine and right. maybe not knowing how to handle it. I think yeah. the, uh, the, the the director said that the whole prostitute aspect of the movie and the murder at the end is pretty much just 
metaphor, although I, I'm not 100% sure like what the, especially the, the murder at the end, what that would signify. You know, that there's a superficial reading of that scene where it felt like it kind of went from being this heroification of the everyday woman to a more direct assault on men, which is something that I, you know, if you assume that reading, then I wouldn't like that ending as much. It feels like then it would end on a more cynical note. Right. But right. yeah, more, if you read into it more metaphorically, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, like, I'm, I'm not sure if I read the ending as a victory for her character or as a tragedy. That's kind of what I'm struggling with at this yeah, point. But. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I don't know how, how to read that ending either. I don't take it as, well, I guess, I mean, the fact that interpreted it as a rape, which is not, is not exclusive to me. I read some other takes from people who mm. also had that feeling. Although like, okay. I think the generally broadly accepted interpretation uh, is that it, it wasn't. I'm not really arguing mm -hmm. that for the being the correct interpretation. It just colored my view of yeah. how it ended. And so, you know, that affected my perception. Caveat aside. But like, <laughs> you know, when you see it that way, it's, I don't know, it doesn't make it more of a triumph. But if you understand why she stabs him a little bit more, or it seems a little more like evident yeah. on the face of it, and then you're left at the end with this kind of like, oh, no, what is she going to do? How is she going to deal with this situation? But the more I've thought about it since then and after reading more about it, I think I don't know how exactly to interpret the metaphor without, I think, watching it again and like sitting with yeah. it for a little bit longer. But I like the metaphorical view a little bit more in relationship to the story as a whole, because I think ultimately, to me, if you're dealing with it in a very literal sense of like, oh, now she's killed this guy, you have to answer this, these questions of like, what are the effects and consequences of that going to be? You know, was that morally justified to do all, you know, all of these mm -hmm. things, which I think muddy the water of kind of what what is really the most interesting bit about th this movie, which is in a more metaphorical view, you can take like her own psychological relationship to maybe men, her clients, her own pleasure, like all these things after watching maybe all of that behind her eyes for like three hours. We're seeing this sudden outburst of like, you know, those things being revealed on some level in the like physical world that we're seeing in the film and just the complexity and sort of turmoil that's there. You know, I don't know if there's like a really specific statement that's being made, like mm -hmm. clients are exploitative of uh, sex workers. And so, you know, uh, killing one is a victory for this woman. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's that, I don't think that kind no. of reading is what's going on here. Yeah. I think if you go into, into that direction, you'd also would have to have more clues along the way that she was in fact being exploited. Whereas the way it's portrayed now literally is that these men are all, all seem very polite and, uh, you know, they, they, they come with her, they pay her, you know, th th there doesn't seem to be any struggle until it kind of comes out of the blue that she stabs this guy. So yeah, right. I, I think my triumphant interpretation of the plot would be that she, to put it simply, she just basically kills the part of herself that kept her trapped in that sort of passionless, dreadful routine. And so she chooses 
I'm going to break free. Right, right. So it's she's essentially, she's more killing a part of herself than literally killing this man. Yeah. And then she kind of sits with the consequences because, you know, a sudden freedom is, there's there's an ecstasy to it, but there's also then immediately that moment where you're now, if, there's no longer any routine to define her. So she just sits there kind of motionless, uh, pensive, not knowing what to do. And that's also, I think, the kind of the flip side of freedom that it's it's now up to her to decide what the rest of her life's going to be like. And that's exciting as well as scary. And uh, that has its own weight, as we have talked about, about in, in, in other movies where, you know, especially more recent movies where uh, we've talked about uh, uh, like the internet, which has, it's kind of given us an overabundance of freedom in a way. Right. But yeah, this movie is kind of set in a different social context. I think still this was the, I think the 75, that's the, the sort of second wave of feminism where, you know, you had the first wave, the kind of, challenged more directly the legal side of equality, you know, voting rights, ownership, that sort of stuff. The second wave of feminism was more about the cultural aspect and the kind of the role that women and men are supposed to have in a household and kind of challenging that or putting it to the test. And I feel like, you know, that's something that this movie obviously fits more into. Whereas, you know, we're now in the fourth wave of feminism. So there's been some progression since then, and you know, I'm not sure to what extent to what extent it's worth discussing how relevant this movie still is in that sense. But I think in for that movie in that time, I think there was a lot of significance to her kind of breaking free from her domestic life and the, yeah, the just yeah. breaking free from those routines and taking some ownership and having some claim to her own desires and needs in a way that she wasn't able to satisfy before when she was just stuck in these routines taking care of everyone else so yeah that that's kind of my that was my initial reading of the ending sort of triumphant but with the caveat that now you know there's the kind of dread of freedom that's looming over the horizon at least you know i'm not sure if that's the if that's one that i'm gonna stick with if i have a rewatch it and have more time to sit with it but yeah i i do like that more than a literal interpretation where she kills someone and now is probably gonna face a lot of negative consequences for it yeah, as yeah. she has to clean it up or has to now right. go to jail or whatever yeah i also prefer the metaphorical reading although i think within even a metaphorical context my read is slightly bleaker where i'm not necessarily sure she's killing the thing that was keeping her in sort of the like the domestic routine it's it's not exactly evident to me that that is Mm -hmm. what she's killing it might be i think potentially more reaction against her own reaction against feeling herself breaking this thing that like is trying to break her out of that so she she feels the sort of door open up to this like mm-hmm. wider world of possibility that exists outside of the routine and she immediately like slams it shut she immediately she slams the door shut and the reason i read it that way i think is because we i feel like we see her doing this in the movie there's almost like a pattern of that kind of mm-hmm. thing that gets set up there there's that scene where she goes the first time she goes to get coffee and she sits down and she puts her sugar cubes in and then she, like, she stares off 
into the distance for a moment. There's a great piece of performance where you almost feel like she's daydreaming or she's thinking about something maybe even a little bit pleasant. And then and then she really like collects herself and like pulls herself together. And it's almost like you kind of see on her face this like, mm. no, no, we don't have time for that. And then she like gets up and leaves. And then as the movie is progressing, all of she as things start to fall apart, it feels like something's happening. Her routine is disrupted and she's trying all these different things to like she's trying all these different mo like routines or activities to kind of like keep it held down in place and not to not to think about it, not to allow the consideration or contemplation of her situation or, you know, this thing that she's dealing with to uh, grow and expand. And so we get all these scenes where she's like trying to make the coffee and, you know, she it's not it's not right. So she keeps adjusting. It's like all these elements of control mm -hmm. coming down to the, a moment you already mentioned where she's like sitting there and then she goes and polishes the and I almost like that made me think of almost like Walter White in in Breaking Bad or something where it, there's that famous oh, fly yeah. episode where he's like, I need to kill <laughs> very different characters. But like mm -hmm. this thought crosses my mind of like it, that thing polishing polishing the the figurines is not going to solve the thing that you're being confronted with right now it's an attempt to like get a handle on this thing that is too bit too like large you know almost too scary in its implications to really like fully consider almost and the ending is like a kind of putting that to death and like you know, maybe keeping a lid on things. I could be wrong about that. That's just like, that's one feeling I got to. Mm, I think that's that's a solid interpretation too. I can definitely see that. And I agree that she definitely comes across as the person who finds safety and comfort in the routines and kind of uses them as, an, as a means to not have to deal with everything else. Right. We haven't really talked about that, but there might be like lingering trauma for maybe her grief for her husband or um, I, I think it was mentioned somewhere that the movie in some way deals with war trauma as well. I'm not sure how explicit it is in, in the in the movie. If it is, it's like in little clues that I mm. didn't pick up on. But the literal context is that a lot of it is kind of a semi-biographical ode to Ackerman's mother who survived Auschwitz. I think like mm. that implication is there subtextually probably through how Ackerman is like portraying uh, this character. As in that she, that, that the main character would also have been during the war in. No, no, I don't, I don't know that that is. I think she, she was 75. She's, she met her husband after the war. So I'm just trying to calculate what, what age she would have been. I felt like it, it, it it's been too long since the war to be a direct reaction to it, but the story that is. I don't think like Jean Dielman is a oh, Auschwitz okay. survivor yeah. in the movie. I'm saying I think like that context of Jean Dielman being a character that's based on Ackerman's mother and Ackerman's mm -hmm. mother ha having been an Auschwitz survivor. I think that's maybe there subtextually, whether or not it's explicitly like meant to be a part of the story. I think maybe in the way that her m mother is just generally then kind of quiet and 
just kind of stuck within herself. She's not someone who communicates her emotions and her feelings outwards. And that's why she right. may struggle to connect with her son because she, you know, he's obviously kind of dreamy and uh, losing himself in his books. But she's also not someone who seems like she's, you know, she she does a lot of work for him. She She kind of serves him in that sense as a mother, but she's not really showing him her own personhood or she's not right. really open to him in that sense in that kind of more heartwarming yeah. way there's a mutual there's definitely a mutual disconnect there because at first i was like you know this kid he, he won't even talk to her or whatever he's mm. a wet noodle there's one scene where <laughs> <laughs> he comes home from school and she's like peeling the potatoes that she scrambled to like go get to make dinner and he like comes in the door and she's not there to meet him to take his coat like the other days that we've seen and so he walks in past the closet into the kitchen where she's she's like working on dinner and just like hands her his coat and it's like you take this <laughs> <laughs> anyway so he's yeah. he's a little brat but the additional context there is like he there's also a couple moments where he kind of is like bearing his soul essentially and is like saying these things like, you know, he's so afraid of sex that it made him want to die or something. I don't remember the exact. And she's just like, oh, go to sleep. Like, you know, we, it's better not to think about that. Like she does not engage at all with him in the, a meaningful way, which is like, you know, mm -hmm. coming from her own probably inability to deal with her trauma surrounding those things. But there's definitely a mutual disconnect there between them. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like the son was struggling with certain emotions that he tried to ask his mother about, but she just didn't have anything meaningful to to say to him, basically. You know, he brings up, I think, the discussion uh, about love and sex also with her, and they talk about her father, how they met, and he's kind of looking for some romantic story. He's kind of looking for the meaning of love, in a way, trying to place like the, the role that sex has within it and um how all that plays into a marriage and she's answers with this very mechanical answer that we talked about earlier yeah. like she basically just wanted a child and her husband or his father was kind of ugly but he, you know it's just a little detail you'll just have to make do and just nothing really of emotional substance coming from her that makes it logical that he if he wasn't raised with that kind of warmth then it's understandable that he doesn't have it as he grows older and yeah. at least that's kind of this self, you know, this vicious cycle where she kind of becomes this almost dehumanized mother figure that only does the service things in house. And, uh, you know, where and he starts because he views her as such and she only gives him that, you know, that kind of it, it reinforces each other in a way. But yeah, yeah it, it's 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 definitely a very complicated relationship that they have. And I like I like that there's that it says all that with so little interaction and you still get the sense that there's just this weight of history that um, affects them both in a yeah. way that it's just really intricately done. And um, this is a movie I think you really have to read. Like if you're watching this and the, your feeling is like there's nothing going on, I think this is one where this doesn't apply. There's some slow cinema where I get it. People are like, I'm not into it, whatever. There's nothing happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can kind of appreciate that disinterest in that. There's some movies that 
the intent there is really to kind of lead you on almost this meditation. A lot of what is going to be significant about it is kind of how you're mentally interacting with the images or the film or the pace or etc. But I think there is a lot going on here. If you're not getting that, it's one where you kind of have to give a little bit more by looking into and examining the details that details that would often not be necessary to pay attention to in another movie in order to understand what is happening. You know, I think it's important to realize that the tiniest elements of the story were very specifically constructed, how she brushes her hair, exactly what she wears at specific times, the way in which things are done, the pace in which they're done, all of that was there's behind the scenes footage of Ackerman directing this on Criterion, which is very fascinating to watch. But she had a very specific vision for what is going on in this movie. And all of that stuff, if you let it, if you pay attention to those details, all of those details are communicating things about the character to to you as the audience. You just have to be willing to like engage with those things. And I think if you do it'll reward that because there's there's a lot there to be kind of explored. And there's a lot of mystery still left. And I think that's one of the reasons it's, it's stuck with me is yeah. like 90 minutes in, I started just getting this really nagging feeling of like, I want to know what she's thinking. Like, I want to know what, <laughs> like, what is going on in there? Are all these activities just keeping things at bay? Or, you know, is she just keeping her hands busy while she thinks about the past? Is she wondering, what could have I done differently? How do I get out of this situation? Is she thinking why, you know, or is she, or is it just, is she trying to go blank and go into this Zen state? And you can see even kind of the struggle potentially between those different uh, emotional states kind of play out on mm. some level. But ultimately we don't get any resolve on that. We're just left with this yeah. question. I, I think that that in itself might already be like a large part of the point that's being made that behind, you know, in the context of that period, that behind every mother figure that seems to be this servant figure, right, there is right. a actual life going on. And maybe you should wonder about what's going on inside of a person like that, even though the movie, this movie doesn't give you that much of a specific answer to it. But, you know, there's as you said, I think you said it at the beginning like this, it's definitely a movie that makes you look differently at the caregiver figures that have been in your life. You know, traditionally that uh, would, would usually be the mother who was more of the home caretaker, whereas the father was often, or more traditionally speaking, out, out to work. Um, nowadays that might have been shifted a little bit, but, you know, there's still that sense that the idea that someone... Uh, in a way, it, it's. I think it's a very interesting movie geared towards children and the way they look at their parents. But I, I guess you can apply it to any kind of service figure or someone who seems to occupy a place in society that's only meant to serve or function towards some other role or what is perceived to be something more important and then kind of highlights that that is actually a human being too and that... Right that kind of stuff that we always place on the periphery is also just as dramatic and an important aspect of life that just as much keeps this world turning and 
yeah, in that sense, it's just, uh, it's a movie that gave me a lot to think about and just challenged me in a way that makes me excited to watch it again. Not immediately, but maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I feel like it's definitely going to be a movie that is going to stick with me. And I can see why it's on the, uh, on the best of the, the, one of the best 100 films ever made. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't place it at one, but I definitely place it in there somewhere. Yeah, it would be it would be up there. It's going to be there for me. I'm I'm very interested to revisit it and also to show it to people. I think watching this one with other people is an interesting experience. It's yeah. it's it's a movie you can kind of. I think there's something to be said for just sitting with this movie and absorbing it. Uh, I read some people talking about theatrical experiences. You know, I think watching this with a group in a theater would be really interesting. Um, oh yeah, but it's also not a bad movie to like sit with somebody else if you're both engaging with it and kind of talk about while you're watching it because it it can invite this sort of uh, mm-hmm. engagement with the story in a way that I think is really interesting. It gives enough uh, quiet space in between the yeah that you that it's you're not talking over <laughs> the action <laughs> yeah. or whatever. It's just a very uh, a very interesting experience or like an experiential movie too. One, you know, we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about what it all means and what it signifies and how everything is meticulously pointing towards some deeper yeah. meaning or, a big, you know, everything is some small element that serves the story as a whole. But at the same time, it's also just, there's something to be said for the, just the experience of it, which is kind of ineffable in a way to, you know, in insofar as you want to articulate what that what that's like uh yeah. some have said like it's i i don't really like people who say like oh the monotony of the boredom is the point you're supposed to feel that way because i actually i i felt like the monotony of the story but i didn't feel the boredom necessarily like i felt more bored during black adam so I'm, right right and that the point of that movie is definitely not to have me bored so yeah. if that so if this movie actually does uh, or is intended to bore me like then both movies have failed because <laughs> right right <laughs> i should have been excited for the one and bored with the other but yeah it was actually the other way around but i don't think the intention is here to bore you and i didn't i didn't really mm-hmm. feel bored but i think there's there's a critical difference even if boredom is creeping in in this movie the way it's framed with something like black adam if you're b- bored watching that it's you're like bored at the movie mm-hmm. but watching this when boredom starts to creep in it's you're feeling bored sort of with the character or there's whatever loneliness or the drudgery or those feelings in sync with yeah your engagement and connection to the character mm-hmm. and so i think there's this weird paradoxical effect where when you start to feel those things it's actually drawing you deeper into the experience of the movie not disconnecting you from it and it's Mm -hmm. not you know there could be a version of this movie kind of to be honest what i expected that's a little bit more like is just a woman peeling potatoes for 10 minutes and then you know there's a couple days and then it ends but it's it's actually i think one of the very interesting things about it is that it's constructed with just enough there's like a pinch of salt in there in the (laughs) sense that it you know, the, the the choice of casting was one thing Ackerman talks about. Choosing like Delphine Seyrig was like a real movie star at the time. So mm-hmm. if this movie was made now, it would be like watching Kate Blanchett in this role or or even Margot Robbie or something maybe. And there's an element of that where 
there is a murder at the end. There is, you know, there it's like it's not detaching itself completely from mm -hmm. the things that make the movies kind of salacious or like why we we become mm -hmm. there was a very intentional like juxtaposition of those things, which I think I think serves the movie yeah. as well. I think casting a big star also meant to add weight to the actions that were right. going on. Because yes. it, it's one thing to show like a no-name actress portray this kind of sedentary life or just this kind of boring domestic lifestyle. Uh, it, it, but it's another thing to have like a huge star come in and have her use that star power to kind of elevate right. the otherwise, what would otherwise be the the invisible yeah. or the, the, the unseen and the un undervalued. Um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I think, uh, we had, we hadn't talked about that, but that's a, that's a great point to, uh, to add. Um, ultimately it's, it's worth giving a watch because there are certain stories that we traditionally kind of elevate within cinema. Uh, and often those are the stories that kind of, on a cultural level or for, you know, a predominantly male audience feel like the big life and death dramatic stories, the, 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 the epics or whatever, that's what gets yeah. the most attention. But the reality of living on this planet is that for every individual, their life is the life and death epic drama. There is not, there is no drama sort of, mm -hmm more significant to you than the one that is playing out in your own life. And so why not point cinema towards sort of the intricacies of one of those smaller, but, mm -hmm. and maybe less flashy, but no less cosmically yep. significant dramas. Yeah. In many ways, it's definitely a, just a significant sacrifice that's made a Jean Dillman character, you know, just in this effort, everyday interactions, everyday service to others that, um, yeah, I, I agree. That's definitely something that's generally undervalued compared to more grandeur and more heroic, great heroic sacrifices or like momentary encapsulations of some great sacrifice instead of this, right. um, kind of prolonged effort to just keep, keep the society going and keep a life going. And, um, yeah, I, um, it's just a, it, it's a movie that really challenged me in a good way and gave me a lot to think about. I'm glad it made the poll so that we had a good excuse to watch it and talk about it. It's a worthwhile movie to put on people's radar and have more attention given to. Mm. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinemaofmeaning. Alternatively, you can follow us on our creator-owned streaming service Nebula. Cinema of Meaning is a Nebula original show, meaning that here you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Last month, that was James Cameron's Avatar 2 The Way of Water. Before that, we've also covered the new All Quiet on the Western Front, Upstream Color, Alien Covenant, Drive, and many others so you're really getting a whole new catalogue of episodes. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, visit curiositystream.com slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.